You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Hello, Teak Nation Podcast listeners. It is me, Alex Swinson, and it is him, Donnie Aldridge, here with you once again this week. It is Monday, May 17th. We are releasing this podcast on Wednesday, May 19th. And if you recall last week, I was quite jolly because we were back in the office. It was a beautiful day, sunny, everything was going great. The uh, Mother Nature's turned on us here. You can't let the weather affect your mood to that rate, right? It could, it could be something that, you know, doesn't drive you straight to a smile, Al, but you got to come in. You got to bring the sunshine sometimes. What about, and this is what one about of those seasonal days. affective disorder? You, my man, have to bring the sunshine. It's a real it's a real syndrome that, you know, weather can make you sad. Right, but I know that you have the mental Look capacity it up right to rise now. above it. You're mentally tough, and we want our listeners out there to be able to rise above it. We've got a lot of... Great things we're going to attack coming up as we end this fiscal year, head into the next fiscal year. And we're going to need mental toughness, baby, because the challenges are going to be there. More than 3 million cases of seasonal affective disorder in the United States every year. I'm not disputing that it exists. I'm simply stating that mental toughness can can at least play a positive role. Oh, okay. All right. As long, long as we're on the same page. Do I need to start to share with Teak Nation the great musings of Mr. Tony Robbins? We'll just bring him on the pod. How about that? Just that would be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal. He Maybe was on a he was on a podcast with Lewis Howes, who has the School of Greatness podcast. And I listened to that episode a couple of weeks ago. And he he really got after it on the the mental toughness and our ability to push through pieces. And you can acknowledge that they exist and then you can push right past. Well, might have to go give that a listen. You think Lewis Howes is giving the Teak Nation podcast a shout out on his pod? Is this like a cross promotion that we're doing? He should. He probably doesn't know enough about us yet, but he better watch out because we're coming. We'll send him an email too. Uh, it is it is May here in Indianapolis. And one thing we haven't touched on yet is the gloriousness that is Indy 500 season. And we are right in the thick of it. Tracks open, practices ongoing. Uh, I think the Grand Prix this weekend, isn't it? It was last weekend, pal. It was last weekend. Who won? I have no idea. Well, uh, anyway, for those who have not experienced a, a May here in Indianapolis, you might be thinking to yourself, how great could it possibly be? You know, it's just a, a silly race with cars that drive around in a, not an oval, a rectangle for three hours. Let me just tell you, you are missing out. And uh, if there is, there is something that could energize me through this, this rain and grayness, it is knowing that. Indy 500 is right around the corner. I don't even know if I'm going, but just the electricity of having it in the state and there being people in the stands gives me gives me life. It doesn't matter if it's a town that you grew up in or a region that you grew up in or maybe one where you went to school or maybe it's a new region or city that you have moved to. There are special events that they have that to the outside public might not seem like they are invigorating or inspiring or something you get jazzed up about. But if you're in that community, many times you can appreciate the energy that it draws from the community and also the experience that you have in being part of the event. The Indy 500 is one of those. What people, most people do not realize is it is the largest sporting event. When you have 300,000 people in one spot, it is hard to explain that much humanity 
and then you have a, a car or cars going around at 220 plus miles an hour. That is one of those things that unless you're there to see it, it is hard to understand how quickly you have to try to pick up the car out on the track to when it comes by you to even understand who's leading the race and people passing each other. Your eyes have to calibrate to that. But it is one of those bucket list pieces. And we've had a number of people in the fraternity who have said it's on their bucket list to come to the Indy 500. I definitely would recommend you at least come once. Many people who come once then come every year for the rest of their lives. Uh, and so it's a, a tremendous experience. I agree with you. It's a, a great dip into humanity. You see literally everything from people who unfortunately don't have as much to folks who have everything in life. And many times they're all dressed the same. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about uh, wonderful thing about the Indy 500 is much like the fraternity, we all come in and treat each other as equals and and humble ourselves. You see that with the Indy 500 with with the community. Everybody's just there on race day to have a great day, to enjoy each other's company, and to celebrate celebrate the state of Indiana. It is uh, the great equalizer in a lot of ways, in that there are no well, I mean, there's some people up in the pagoda that are suited up and. They got, they got the Kentucky Derby look to them. Yeah. yeah, a little bit, but it's not. I was going to compare it to the Kentucky Derby where the infield is just uh, a mess at times there, although not nearly as much of a mess as the infield at the Indy 500. And then the bleachers and the stands and the suites, you know, Tom Brady's got his bow tie on and all the women in their big old hats. You don't get that as much. No, 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 no. At the Indy no. 500. Yeah. It Cut is, off t-shirt, jean shorts. Yeah. There is, uh, there's really nothing like it in my mind. It's 300,000 plus people. The, the 100th, which was what, three or four years ago now, I think they, they sold it out entirely, including the infield, which was like 350 plus. Um, you don't get that size sporting event anywhere else. And just the, the masses, it, it's, it's impossible to explain until you go. It's not like being at a football game and, and looking out through the bleachers. It's not like being at a, a baseball game or, you know, I, I guess you can maybe probably compare it in, in a sense to some of the college football stadiums, the big house and uh, happy Valley and some of those stadiums that hold 80, 90, hundred thousand people, the Rose bowl. But even there, that's, a, that's one third the size of, of the Indianapolis 500. And so you, you just, you get there and the sun shining and, uh, when that national anthem plays and you fly over something else. And, and I just, uh, I miss it. And I am ready, whether it's this year or next year to get back to full go, because it is one of my favorite days of the year. You're right about the cars. You really have to be really have to identify colors. Well, and, and you find your drivers that most of the time you have money on, and then you figure out they're driving a yellow car with a, you know, a black bumper or uh what am I, what's the, what's the word spoiler? Um, see, I'm all in on motorsports. And then, you, and then you, you know, you catch them coming in, coming, coming around turn three and, and coming down the short shoot and through turn four, and then they're gone again for 45 seconds. So uh, it's, it's an experience unlike any other. And unfortunately attendance is going to be limited this year, but if you're out there listening and you've ever been thinking about making the trip, it doesn't matter if you like sports or not. It doesn't matter if you like racing or not, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. I could not care any less about IndyCar racing 11 and a half months out of the year, but you get to get to the back half of May here and I'm all in on the IndyCar. Uh, Renus VK was the winner of the Grand Prix 
this past weekend. Congrats to Arenas. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the interesting piece there, when you say it's going to be limited, to give the scope, the it, it is going to be limited. I still think they're allowing somewhere between 130 and 150,000 people. So that's what limited capacity right. looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's still uh, still a pretty large event. And if you are headed out to the Indy 500, I wish you the best of luck. Might have a little better luck parking this year than you have in previous years. All right. Outside of that, what else we got going on? I'm curious while I have you here. Go ahead. What are you, what are you reading? Many times when we have our leadership events and we talk to our participants, we, we really focus on the art of reading, whether that's articles, books, whatever your flavor, but ways to continue to better yourself. And too many times it takes until we become a full-fledged adult before we understand how critical reading is and how impactful reading is for our, for our personal and professional development. Curious, what books are you reading right now? Or what books even do you plan to read as we head into the summer here where we can really better ourselves in summer off-season training, my man? Well, I will start with this. I am a very bad reader of books, not in the sense that I can't read. I can read proficiently. Um, I will get in on a book and I'll go all in on it. I'll read it. You know, I'll, I'll sit down. I'll comb through 10, 15 pages every night for two or three weeks. And then I don't know if I lose interest. I don't know if I get sidetracked. I, I, it would you take have the attention little... span of a gnat. Let's just. It's not. Let's get it it's not there. even that necessarily. I just I start books. I get really excited about them. I go all in on them, and then I just stop. And so I have a number of books that I'm forty to sixty percent of the way through that I just need to to go and pick them back up again because I'm also what I'll also do is I'll get like 40, 50% of the way through a book. I'll be like, Oh, there's another book out that, that intrigues me. And then I'll switch to that book without finishing the first book. Yeah. You're throwing your hands up. I agree with you completely. Oh. It's really stupid, but I'm just telling you that is for whatever reason, how my very inefficient, it's, it's very, very inefficient. inefficient and it's, 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 it's highly frustrating. Okay. Well, said, there do you are, want to name, do you want to name the 27 books that you've read 30 pages of? No, I don't. There are two books right now that I am a portion of the way through, one of which was suggested by you, of course. And that is, that is Multipliers. It is a book about leadership, about how we can become, well, multipliers as leaders instead of the opposite, which is called a diminisher and how you can work to get the most out of the people you work alongside and work with. And so that has been, there's been a lot of really good information in there. I go through, I highlight, I come by, I read most of my, my stuff on my, uh, on my iPad. So I'll highlight and then it compiles all your highlighted notes at the end. So I'll go back and look through those. Um, I've been, uh, I've been pretty pleased with that one. I just, I got away from it for a little bit. I picked it back up. The other book that I started and have stopped and now am looking to pick back up again is Killers of the Flower Moon, which is getting ready to be, well, it is currently being made into a movie, everyone's favorite American actor, Leonardo DiCaprio. So uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is about a series of murders of Native Americans living in Oklahoma who had a bunch of oil money. Um, it, it's kind of as I understand it, the portion that I've gotten through and what I what I know about the movie has to do with how the FBI came to be in existence and, uh, you know, how the some of these national murder cases become centralized with with the FBI. Um, so I'm excited about that. I want to read that before the movie comes out. But the movie, Leo, Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese, who uh, has done a ton of work with both Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, but the three of them have never done anything together which is just uh really intrigues me because i 
you know, Goodfellas and uh, The Irishman recently with De Niro. And then you go back to Shutter Island and The Departed. And uh, there's probably two or three other Leo Marty movies. Aviator, I think he did Aviator. Um, anyway, and then Jesse Plemons is in there as well, who I think Jesse Plemons is a really, really talented young actor. So it's going to be uh, going to be a great movie. And, sorry, film. I'm excited for it, but I do want to read the book just to give myself some context leading into it. And with that, I will allow you to share what you're reading. I have a number of books on the docket here. I just finished The Coaching Effect, which discusses how you can optimally get the most out of people. There's a book called Grit that I still have to get to. It's called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. There's another book called Think Again by Adam Grant that I need to get on top of. And then my wife, my wonderful wife that you know, uh, she bought me a book. I believe the title of it's Mind Master. It's about how you can memorize even more things. And I feel like that's a talent you and I both have. Pretty good, pretty good memory. But trying to take that to the next level. Have you read Eleven Rings, Phil Jackson's book? I have not. I would suggest that's one book I actually made it the whole way through. There's a lot of really good information in there. It's it's entertaining in a sense that it talks about his journey through the NBA and winning all his titles, talks about his background, his upbringing. But there's also a lot in there about how he managed the teams that he had, how he brought together NJ and Scottie Pippen. And, and I know some of that was covered in your favorite documentary, um, Last Dance, but but it really dives into how Phil got the most out of his players, which said about coaching effect, made me think of it. And, you know, and then obviously he shifts from the Bulls, jumps to the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq. They have their whole falling out. He goes away. He comes back with Kobe again. Uh, Phil Jackson is in my opinion, probably most people's opinion, a top three American sports coach of all time. And you could argue that he had some of the most talented players of all time, which is accurate, but a lot of people have talented players on their teams and and can't find a way to unlock their potential and, and get the most out of them. And and I think what I took away the most is he, he really more than anything, he took a hands-off approach and he let a lot of his teams just self-manage, and then he would pick his spots. He would pick his spots to jump in, to challenge, to poke, to prod, to push. He wasn't a micromanager. He wasn't a guy who was in MJ's face every single day telling him what he needed to do and when he needed to do it because he knew he had guys who who could had that within themselves. So definitely a multiplier, Phil Jackson. Well, that's the, that's the big piece, right? Between Kobe and Jordan, you had two of the, if not the two greatest guys who are self-starters who are going to get in their teammates face who are going to push and drive I think that's a that's a coach that's a CEO's dream uh you know Preetness if you think about a president of one of our groups that you have folks outside of the leader who are going to get going to get on each other going to push each other going to going to stretch each other and coach each other that's what you really need in a dynamic team so but I think he was, he was lucky enough to have that I think the flip side of that though where the coach does come in is if you have that NJ or that Kobe, they can take it too far. And it's your oh, yeah. job as the coach to, to be able to temper, you know, you think about yep. NJ punching uh, Steve Kerr in the face during practice and, and how do you manage that? And the way that Kobe, you know, you hear players that would come into the Lakers and Kobe would basically call him a scrub and tell him to get off, you know, they didn't have the right to stay on the same basketball court as him. He might've been right, but also you, you still need the ninth, the 10th, the 11th man on the team to perform. And if the star player is openly disparaging them, that could, that could hurt team morale. So how do you, how do you find that balance? How do you make sure that your, 
your not your low performers, but your your less important players in a lot of ways are still bought in and still working toward the same goals when you have these Kobe's, these MJ's, even in Shaq, much more aloof and and laid back, it seems, than Kobe, which could have been a big part of their issues. But um, but Shaq's one of the 10, 12 greatest basketball players in the history of the NBA. So how do you get the same out of them as you do out of the the last guys on the bench? Um, so yeah, it, it, was a, it was a good read. I read it three or four years ago and took a lot away from it. That's my that's my Alex Swinson book club stamp of approval for the day. That's great. You're not probably not getting another one for a while, so enjoy it while it lasts. All right, anything else before we we move into rule of three here? Let's get into the rule of three. All right. So sometimes we get, you know, we go in pretty deep on rule of three. We really, we really hit some thinkers and sometimes you just want mindless fun. And, and this is a mindless fun one. Uh, got to thinking about what we want to talk about. I ate some Italian food over the weekend and I thought, you know what, let's talk a little bit about food and what we like to eat. So with that, what are, what are your three favorite types of food, genres, cuisines to consume? All right. So Italian, love Italian food. That would be one. Mexican food, phenomenal. And then I don't know how it fits in a category because it's a little different, but I would say seafood, right? Seafood I don't know works, that that's... Yeah. Seafood yeah, is a genre. Right, yeah. I don't know that that's not really tied to a particular country. It doesn't have to be. But I, I do love I do love seafood. I love seafood as well. It, it just missed my list. Mm. Um, just missed. I mean, by a narrow margin. So my three are uh, number one, barbecue. I eat barbecue all day, every day. Love it. Don't, I don't cook barbecue as much. That's as talented as uh, talented as I am in the kitchen. I've not mastered well, the barbecue yet. My neighbor is retired, and let me tell you, he makes a great barbecue because I feel like you have to be retired. There's a lot of work, a lot of prep, a lot of letting things marinate. Yeah, it's a it's a full on commitment to to master barbecue. So, uh, not quite there yet. Number two, Japanese food, specifically sushi, uh, the noodle soups, ramen, udon. All that I am, uh, I'm just all in on on ja- Asian food in general. I like Chinese food as well, but I prefer Japanese because of those few things. I tried a little, uh, tried a new little ramen recipe last week. It was pretty pretty tasty. Um, and then lastly, I would agree with you. Number three would be Italian and all of the carbs and starches and pastas. Fresh pasta. You go to you know you go to Little Italy or you go to go out to Chicago, New York City, find a place that's making pasta fresh, doing everything from scratch, and that is. There might might not be anything better than that right there. So that uh, that would be my number one. Let's find Zach Scott. Let's get him. Zach, I do believe you are uh, you are away from Tampa, which is exciting in a sense, albeit the circumstances are not the best. So uh, please do enlighten us as you, as we talk to you right now. Where are you? I am uh, just outside of Pensacola. Um, Florida. So still in the state. Uh, if you had oh. talked to me yesterday, I could have been anywhere between Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, maybe Pensacola. So yeah, we're, uh, we're out on the road. What's that, what's that drive like? Um, it's uh, six and a half hours from where we were at to get back to Tampa. And we drove, I want to say like 10 hours or just under 10 hours yesterday from where we were in Texas. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying it was six hours from Texas to Tampa. And I was, I was no, it was, confused. that was like 16 and a half hours from yeah. Tampa to where we were in Texas. It's been a long, long uh, weekend. Is it, is it just, I mean, is it just mostly flat? Nothing too exciting going on there? 
yeah, I mean, I think the, the highest points are some of the bridges in Louisiana. So um, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy going on. Got to see uh, old Baton Rouge and, and look down on the Death Valley and at LSU's campus. So that was nice. Hey, but Baton Rouge, one of the six places outside of Indianapolis and Tampa that this podcast has been in the last four months. So that's right. That's uh, that's exciting. Did you uh, so we just we just talked about food for our rule of three. Both seafood and barbecue made an appearance on our list. Did were you able to to snag any of either of those on your journey? Um, definitely barbecue. Barbecue was was had. Um, water burger was had. You know, mm. anytime you go to Texas, you got to have the water burger. Um, yeah. So I feel like anytime you go to Texas, it's like a must that you get that you get some barbecue. How many tiny containers of spicy ketchup have you consumed in the last five days? Um, only, only a couple. We actually, uh, we brought back some ketchup, um, although you can order it online. So any of our listeners out there who are big Whataburger fans, you can order any, any of the Whataburger sauces that they, uh, that they sell. It's turned into a Whataburger ad. Sponsorship. sponsorship. I, I do, I do want to share a, a fun story because why not? We're talking about Whataburger. Uh, Zach, you, you probably remember this, but it was, it was sometime in your first year on staff, I believe, you were sitting at your desk here at, at 7439 Woodland Drive eating Whataburger for lunch. And uh, I believe Brett Widner, our, our CFO, and myself were, were both very confused about how that happened and where you found Whataburger in Indianapolis. And you shared that you simply ordered an extra burger the last time you were in Texas. You flew it home with you. You stored it in your fridge. And then you, you warmed her up and ate her for lunch the next day. I did. I think I was flying out of the Houston airport. Um, and I can't remember if I was visiting a group or it was probably um, visiting my brother because I wasn't working in the South. So uh, yeah, the Houston airport, they have a Whataburger. So I grabbed one for dinner. I grabbed one because it was like 10 PM in the airport, grabbed one to take home with me, kept it in my bag, threw it in my fridge, brought it to work, heated it up and uh, it was good to go. And it for kept okay for you. Hours. No it, it, was, it was delicious. It was, it was quite tasty. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That was a, that was a fun, <laughs> fun story. I'm surprised you remember that. I know Corey had made, made a comment to me about it, but I, uh, that's, I mean, it's gotta be something that you, you don't forget, but I mean, the legend of Zach eating Whataburger for lunch <laughs> one day in Indy, it'll never die. Whataburger itself. It's a great place. Zach, we talked a little earlier in the pod about the Indy 500. Do you have any favorite Indy 500 memories that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, <laughs> uh, I would, I'd probably say anytime the grand council come, I remember that there were some guys from USC um, that, uh, that came by, but I don't, I don't think that they, this was South Carolina, by the way. Um, and I don't think they knew who Rod Talbot was and he was the grand prix at the time. That was a, uh, if Rod's listening, that was a, a fun memory uh, looking back, but yeah, outside of that, I don't, I don't know that there are too many other things that, that are easy to recall from, from the 500. Ah, there's the key <laughs> right there. Yeah. And I think Donnie wanted that kind of answer, but we'll see. Well, yeah, so we were talking simply about uh, not only that part of the experience, but how hard it is to verbalize and for folks to visualize how you have to, how hard it is to keep track of the cars that are moving at that clip mm -hmm. and also how large the track is. Well, the, yeah. I, hold on a sec. I think Zach just learned that there's cars that drive around the track <laughs> at the Indy 500. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I don't think I ever once sat in the, the seats, but we would watch me inside. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's like, it's hard to describe, right? The sounds of them whizzing by, I mean, even a, a whizzing by is not what they do. It's like a thunderous roar. And 
multiply it by however many cars are still left at the track by the end of the race. And yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words. I mean, there were commercials last night on NBCSN talking about greatest spectacle in racing. And it's, uh, it's really hard to, to describe what, what the Indy 500 is and how big it is too. If it's a month long festivity central really for the whole state of Indiana. That's right. Who, what, what's the best snake pit performance you've seen in your time? Um, probably uh, Grizz for me. Um, I remember watching him at my buddy's fraternity house at Auburn mm-hmm. uh, perform for like a few hundred people and then seeing him play at the, uh, in the snake pit at the Indy 500 was pretty awesome just a few years later. So, Well, uh, on, a, on a more serious note, since we've joshed around <laughs> for long enough here, uh, we talked earlier about reading and books and Donnie is much more of an avid reader than I am, but I dabble. Um, it doesn't have to be books necessarily, but what do you do? What do you do, Zach? Especially we talked last week about home office work and, and trying to stay fresh and re- recharge being at home. How do you keep your mind sharp? Are there books? Are there podcasts? Are there articles? Are there websites? What do you, what do, you do to, to stay on top of that and make sure that you, uh, you don't get dull in just the, the general ongoing learning department? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is I listen to the School of Greatness podcast with Lewis Howes. That's, uh, I'm a really big fan. Um, I love that guy. He's awesome. I still one of my favorite. I know I've mentioned this to y'all in team meetings, but one of my favorite podcasts of all time is his podcast with Tony Gonzalez, where he talks about what it takes to become a Hall of Famer in the NFL, right? Of He catches maybe or an average receiver or tight end may catch um, 60,000 passes or so in, in their time. And he caught maybe 210,000 passes um, throughout his career. And he was talking about how you may catch 10 to 30 passes in a practice. He was catching 60 to 80. Um, and, and that's how you get to that level. Obviously, he did it for so long. But uh, that podcast is, is one of my favorites. And then um, one that actually I was clear um, from time to time, I'll post some of his posts on my uh, Instagram story, Facebook story. And those are pretty inspirational. I know PJ and uh, Victor follow along as well. Uh, and I think utilizing things like social media, right, where a lot of people use it as this mind numbing, get away from the rest of the world for a little bit, escape. Uh, I, I think there are ways that you can, if you follow the right people, you can find ways to, to continue to improve your game. Another guy from the School of Greatness podcast, Matthew Hussey, who's a, uh, he's a relationship coach. I follow him. I've followed him now for, I think, since 2018 because of that podcast. And uh, he's a really good guy to listen to about how you form relationships. And that's a really important piece for me um, and what I do and how I coach guys. What was the second one you said you cut out there for a second? James, James Clear is his name. Um, he's got the, uh, what is it, Seven Atomic Habits, um, something along those lines. I haven't read his book, but um, it's been recommended by, uh, by Woody. I'm not sure if, if Donnie's got, gotten around to any of those, but yeah, it was, uh, he's definitely got some good stuff that he posts on social media that you can quick little post and, and share and kind of read through them. Well, big day for Victor Casanova and, and PJ Malafronte getting their first podcast shout outs as well. So I'm sure they, they appreciate <laughs> it just, just across the hall from me here. So I'll, I'll let them know they got the nod today. Perfect. Tell them to make sure to listen, whether it's good or bad news, they can find out. That's right. That's how you tease. That's called, that's teaser. All right. Anything else for Zach, Don? No, Zach, excited. We got two weeks left in the year. Appreciate all the work that you're doing and continuing to coach guys up. And we've got a lot of big things I keep talking about. we got a lot of big things planned for, for the summer, uh, heading into the fall. You know, we've, we've been talking with, with our internally, and I think it's time to start talking externally about, about the five R's 
Um, and you know, when we think about that, those are that's recruitment, risk, ritual, retainment, and resourcefulness. We can do a whole nother pod on that, but obviously, number one is recruitment and bringing in new members. It's been a, a year where we've not had the ability to do that in many circles, and excited to take off and get after it and bringing in new critical phenomenal people into our organization so grateful for all you do zach absolutely yeah it starts now guys start that recruitment now sweet thank you zach be safe for us away home we'll talk to you soon thank you very much bye guys all right let's keep it moving here we're gonna go in uh keeping the texas flare alive actually we got uh, got a good friend of the pod here cole connor coming on so I uh, thought that it would be apt to bring in Cole to, to share some reflections. He just graduated or he is he's graduating, just graduated, I think, from University of Houston. Uh, I know a lot of individuals out there are are in the process of graduating and starting that next phase of life. So I want to bring Cole in, just give him a chance to talk a little bit about his time in college, reflect on his time with Teak and, and at the University of Houston, and uh, just, you know, bring some bring some youth into this podcast. you hearken back to season one of the podcast you'll know the name and, and maybe even the face if you've saw, seen some of the, uh, the the YouTube content we posted college graduate CAC chairman Epsilon Omicron University of Houston Cole Connor it's a pleasure to have you how does it uh, how does it feel being back on the pod here well as an avid avid listener it's uh I'm thrilled to be back I was giving you some pretty pretty big props about actually listening to the podcast and just texting me random BS every Wednesday, criticizing my work. So now we're putting well, you on the spot, bud. Well, I mean, the only work I criticized was some of your March Madness picks because, you know, Houston Cougars, but I will, uh, I took the loss there. Uh, did. Yep. Honorably. I regret nothing. Honorably. I took the loss there in Indianapolis. So Worth noting that this uh, this interview here is being recorded without the presence of Chief Executive Officer Donnie Aldrich. So it's just Cole and I, which will seem even stranger for those listening because it's Donnie and I, and then no Donnie, and then Donnie and I to close the podcast. So really, you're just sitting in for Donnie for the next 25 minutes or so. How's that feel? Well, I mean, as the interim CEO right now, a um, little stressful, but... As one of, as one of his 11 bosses... You can pretty much say whatever you feel. Well, I mean, first things first is, I mean, I've got a view of that uh, penthouse suite. Um, we're going to have to downsize you here in a minute um, from that director of education suite. It's a, it's a little too big for, for my liking. Got to get on a call an emergency grand council call to give me a smaller office. Right. Absolutely. I respect that. I respect power. Okay. Let's, let's get into it here because we, you know, we're, you are serving, well, you've served the last two years as the CAC chairman, which means you are the voice of the collegiate and talk at Epsilon, which is a lot of pressure. And then uh, as you sit here today, I thought, you know, what a, there's no better time to, to bring in a college student who's lived the last four years as a, as a student and, and an undergraduate member in Teak, and now you're graduating to, to bring in and get perspective. And I'm always curious, you know, it's been, it's been like a decade since I graduated now. How perspectives change throughout your time in college and, and what things you learn and pick up on and, and how you're leaving compared to how you came in. So I, I'll start there, I guess. What, when you think back to four years ago, 
uh, going into University of Houston. Where has your perspective changed the most? Is there a specific area, specific topic, maybe something, you know, a, a specific situation that you've encountered multiple times throughout the course of your life where your your perspective has really changed throughout your time in college? Mm, I, I'll go, one of the things I often talk about recruitment, and I think this is an important thing, was, you know, I came from border town, Brownsville, Texas, uh, very small private Catholic uh, high school. It was a college prep school. So coming into college, I was I felt overprepared um, coming into the University of Houston because a lot of the people who I had uh, graduated high school with, they were going to Notre Dame and they were going to some of these really, really elite schools. And I don't mean to to downplay the education I received at the University of Houston, but I just I, I felt a little overprepared. But I often talk about this coming in you know, almost, almost five years ago. I know you said four, but it was five. Sorry. Um, oh, it's okay. I've just made myself sound a little less intelligent. You but, college uh, nine years ago, where, how, what's different now? Cole's, Cole's my <laughs> age, for those that don't know, Sarah College University. Uh, but yeah, I know when I talk about, you know, when I started about five years ago, I, I, I think everyone, when they come into college, tells their parents and they tell all their family about how they've got their life figured out and they've got, you know, everything, you know, this is what's going to happen. And at that time I, I was coming in and I was pretty complacent. So word I like to use is I was, you know, it was, wasn't who I was in high school, but I was pretty okay about the fact that I thought I was going to graduate in four years. I was going to go work at the, the university rec uh, and make, you know, seven and a half dollars or eight bucks an hour. And then I was going to graduate and go work for my dad. That was probably a snapshot of where I am now. Um, I kind of fell into the whole teak thing. And then we, as we look at, you know, when I'm graduating right now, you know, I've, I've been working full time for the past year. Um, uh, you know, I serve as a CAZ chair. I've done a whole bunch of leadership based stuff, uh, not only through teak, but throughout the university. And I, I often tell people that, you know, teak isn't, isn't going to be this giant magic wand that's just going to make you a better person, but it's going to be an opportunity to experience a lot of things and experience what you want to experience, but you have to be open to that. Um, and I think my perspective has changed because now I'm, I'm hungry, right? And now I kind of, my dad and I joke about the idea that I, I would never, you know, I don't, I don't want to go work for my dad because that feels like it's almost too easy. And it's like, I'd rather, you know, go kind of hop in that corporate world and kind of go manage a whole bunch of people and go make some like real big change in the world. But that, that was probably some of the biggest perspective change I've had over the five years. Um, but a lot of that comes through experiences, right? It's nothing that you're going to learn in the classroom. It's, it's, it's just what happens outside of the classroom, the people you meet and the people you surround yourself with has really been part of the perspective change. So you, you brought it into the fold a little bit already, the, the teak factor, what, how do you think your college experience would have been different if you had not joined Teak? If you go back five years ago and you decide, nah, fraternity is not for me, where would you be today versus what you gained out of your time with, with the fraternity? Well, for starters, if I had not joined Teak at the University of Houston, I probably would have transferred out and gone to SMU and been in a, uh, an SAE just like my daddy, uh, which is, <laughs> I did a lot of things and, and followed my dad through, you know, certain things because he's such a big role model in my life, but I would have done exactly that. And I, I often talk about this with a lot of people as well as I don't think I would have had the experience I've had today, you know, or coming into the University of Houston's Teak chapter, we weren't a great chapter. You know, I'll probably get some stick from some of our older guys if they even listen to this, but yeah, we weren't we're a great chapter. <laughs> but we weren't a great chapter. We were, we were really, really average. Um, we didn't produce any results. Um, 
And I, and I can remember to this day, there was a singular post uh, by uh, past Grand Preakness, Bob Plank, and really didn't know the guy, but he posted on a Facebook one time and everyone used to add him on Facebook because, you know, he's Bob Plank. You got to add him. You know, he's Mr. Mr. EOT. But I'll never forget the post he shared. And it was the, I think it was in 2017. So it was like my first real full year being in Teak. But it was a post that shed something along the lines of, you know, it shared the rankings and the awards. And it was like, you know, congratulations to the chapters who won. And it's, you know, sad to see the the current state of the, the chapter, you know, the EO men strive to be okay, but not great. And I remember seeing that and I was like, who in the world is this old guy? And what is he talking about? And it got me a little fired up. But and with that, I, I started to go to some of these conferences and learn a little bit more. And but I think the biggest thing that I got out of Teak that I didn't was was growth. Was the idea that it wasn't it wasn't okay or it wasn't okay to be okay with where you are. And I share that story because I think there's a lot of people who kind of have this idea that at least in talking to people, you know, that oh the, the EO chapter, wow, you guys are you guys are doing some great stuff. But three years ago we weren't doing great stuff. Three years ago we were pretty freaking crappy, but, uh, we were, we just were, we're a bunch of guys who are okay with being okay, but you know, you begin to surround yourself with the right people and you start to get some real growth. I mean, we started surrounding ourselves and I know you would kind of ask me to think about individuals who really impacted our experience, but it kind of starts with Ethan Wells. I mean, Ethan Wells took on a regional director role with us and he did it a little bit different. I mean, we'd had some other regional directors who just kind of stop by and that was it. But Ethan made a point to visit us and, and talk to us and, and take us out to dinner and, and just really understand us and what, what we really wanted. And Ethan kind of, I'll credit Ethan to a lot of the growth that we, we had, but, but having someone who could see into, you know, and see where guys were and what they wanted to be and investing time and, and, and resources into that. I think that was huge, but the growth aspect is just, to me, it's, when you can look and see the chart and see where our growth is and where we are now, I mean, that's, that's huge. And, and not only for me, but for everyone else, there's, we went from raising, if you look at our, some of our KRAs, we went from raising $0 in 2017 for St. Jude, uh, maybe a, or in 2016, maybe $1,000 in, in 2017. So that was 2016, zero, 2017, a couple thousand. And then to, you know, the next year to like $66,000. And now we're, we're, inching in towards the $30,000 mark. So almost $100,000 in two years. Uh, and that's just, that's to me, it's a real growth is we now have a position where people are learning to do things and learning to be, you know, some of the, I call them the studs on campus, the guys who are, who are different and, and embracing that idea of different. The, the fact that, okay, that's great. We can get a, you know, 300, 400 people at a, at a party or at a bar. That's, that's not hard. I mean, that, that doesn't take much effort, but if you can do, all the great things by having, you know, great GPA, recruiting a whole bunch of guys, setting people up for leadership uh, opportunities, you know, sending people to programs and having, you know, high school beer to celebrate it all. I mean, hell, it feels a lot better. I mean, I used to be the guy who, honestly, I was a guy who had a two, five GPA and I played FIFA late at night. That, that's not hard to do, but what hard is to do is, is to then pull, you know, a, a three, eight GPA, a 4.0, a three, five GPA, do all this other stuff. And, you know, have a good time and celebrate it. And that's, that to me is, is the growth is, is teaching people how to balance multiple, uh, I guess, aspects of their life and, you know, kind of fulfilling the idea that, you know, we're going to aid men in our uh, mental, moral, and social well-beings for life. On your chapter experience, we could probably spend a whole other podcast just letting you tell stories about some of the 
some of the things you've been through. But but in all seriousness, I know that uh, there are a lot of ways that you have been through the ringer and and you have tried to institute change and and piss some guys off and alienated yourself at times and and been. I don't want to say the enemy to the, not the enemy to the chapter because you've been trying to influence positive change, but uh, a lot of guys have perceived you to be, you know, mouthpiece for headquarters and and just trying to get them to do things that nationals wants them to do. How, how has that changed you? What, what perspective has that given you that, that the fact that you have had to deal with some of the confrontation and, and go against guys that you thought at one point might be lifelong friends of yours because they weren't upholding what it means to be a teak on your campus. Yeah. I mean, that, that probably, uh, and I, another person who's, you know, impacted my growth significantly, Donnie, uh, you know, we were at a point where essentially, you know, we're, we're about to celebrate our 65th anniversary. We were at a point where for the first time in 65 years, we were at a, basically at, at a close, we were, we were issued an indefinite suspension. And, uh, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my gosh, we were the people who did it for the first time in 65 years. We did it. Um, and yeah, I did. I, I became the paper, the paper dragon, as I like to say, you know, I was the big, scary, mean guy who, you know, in, impacted some change. And, you know, I had to basically tell 30 some odd guys to, you know, that it was their time was up and that, you know, we were changing direction. But, you know, you talk about, you know, losing losing friend well people who you thought were friends and that was that was tough you know that that's certainly not something that was very easy to do uh it certainly killed me I'm a very social guy I enjoy hanging out with people I enjoy being surrounded by my friends and fraternity brothers and that was that was a really really tough point in my life um but I, I but I grew a lot through it um you know you go from thinking oh some of these guys are going to be invited to my wedding to suddenly you know this is this guy's spitting in your face and telling you to go you know go fly a kite, basically. I mean, that was such an interesting experience. And it's certainly not, uh, it's certainly not for everyone. I mean, I think there's a quote from Nick Saban. And it's like, you know, if you talking about leadership, and if you know, if you wanted to make people happy, go sell ice cream, right. And, and that's unfortunately, it's the truth sometimes about leadership, and there is going to be some stress, and there is going to be um, some unhappy people. But that's, that's what it is. I mean, you can't make everyone happy. It's impossible. Um, but yeah, I sold ice cream in high school and everyone loved it. It was, it was fantastic. I loved it. I got free ice cream. So a um, little trick of the trade there, someone orders, you know, hot fudge Sunday, for example, and you accidentally make it wrong. It just goes in the freezer for, uh, for anyone to take home with them after, after shifts over. So any ice cream salesman out there, just, just keep that little life hack in mind. Um, no, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's been a, a really important part of your journey um, and, and, and who you've become. I know you mentioned Ethan, you mentioned Donnie. Are, are there, are there any other individuals that stand out to you as people who have had a really positive impact on, on your time in Teak and maybe not even in Teak, maybe as a college student or, or as an employee through a job or an internship, but individuals you look at and say, wow, without this person, I would have had a much different and, and frankly, a much worse college experience. Yeah. I think first on that list is uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Mike Paday. Mike Paday is a uh, the president and CEO of the University of Houston's Alumni Association. Um, he's actually an SAE as well um, here at University of Houston. That's he and my dad love to give me a hard time about not being an SAE, but uh, Mike was uh, instrumental um, in, you know, part of my growth and change. Um, there was some parts of my life where, you know, it, I, I wasn't the guy who I really was. I mean, you're putting on the, the, the mask and you're kind of playing the role of somebody else. And, 
you know, he was huge and basically being that guy to, to coach me through some issues and stuff. Uh, and it was nice to have someone who was outside of the teak realm to kind of lean on and, and almost unload some of that stuff that had gotten built up in there. And he was, he was outstanding. Um, and teak staff, teak staff was huge. And I know that once again, I'm going to sound like the mouthpiece for headquarters, but I mean, teak staff and their volunteers are just, they're incredible. I mean, uh, Nick, and I know I'm forgetting people, you know, Nick Kimball, uh, huge, you know, uh, Garrett's been great, uh, just in, you know, being able to bounce some things off, uh, Alex Baker, God bless him. He and I are constantly looking at the Teak module and looking at all sorts of data and stuff. Um, Swenson, you, you've, you've done some incredible programming and, you know, the mastermind behind the Teak Leadership Academy. That was, uh, one of the greatest experience I'd have ever had as a uh, collegiate, um, the list goes on, but I mean, the Teak staff has been huge as well, but yeah, I mean, there's too long of a list, you know, Bob Plank, who's been our, you know, pretty much the, the point man for EO for the last maybe 45, 50 years. Um, he's invested a whole lot of time, talent and treasure in me as, as well as, you know, Toby Castro, our chapter advisor. And I mean, the, the list just goes on. I mean, there's, I've certainly been very, very blessed with, people who are willing to invest in my success um, throughout the past five years. Well, and, and to your, to your credit, I think you've seeked people out, you seek that out. And, and that's, you always, people always say you're the, the sum of the people you surround yourself with. And I think it, you know, you made an effort to surround yourself with some of the, the grand council members, some of the staff members, some of the, the EO volunteers, some of the high level individuals within the University of Houston community. So I think, you know, you, you played a very active role in, in finding those individuals as well. So that can't be understated. Um, when you think about yourself as, as a leader, and we've been down a lot of different roads with the chapter experience and in um, your time there at, at UH in general, but as a leader, as you progress in life and, and hopefully gain more responsibility in your career and gain responsibility in your life and maybe get married and maybe become a father, what leadership skills and, and tactics and abilities have you acquired that you did not have walking through those doors day one as a college freshman? Man, uh, I think a lot of it has to do, I think confidence in making decisions, I think was huge. I think I look back to even my time as, you know, the rush risk chairman and all that other stuff, you know, a lot of times, and I, and I give our guys such a hard time about it sometimes too, is I'm now coaching a couple of our younger undergraduates as they go into leadership roles, but it used to be, and to me, I don't, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but leadership is not pulling the room, taking whatever one thinks, and then just making that decision. I mean, there are certain things that I think, you know, let the chapter vote on or let the rest of the board vote on, but I think as a leader, you just need to make decisions, you know, and then you're going to get tied into the, you know, the red tape, oh, the voting. And then sometimes it delays and puts roadblocks and decisions that, you know, a lot of times if you just made the decision, you could move forward and you could delegate down. And I think that's another thing as well is, is, is delegating. I, I used to basically put everything on my back and I just kind of did things and you kind of learn once you, you've got a whole bunch of stuff to, to manage and classwork and work and all this other stuff to, hey, I can actually delegate this down. It can get done. And I'll just kind of at a high level kind of review it with them and, and so on and so forth. But growth th throughout the last four years or five years has just been, it's been priceless. And I, and I always tell people, I attribute everything that I've been able to grow in the last five years to Teak because they've, whether it's the people, whether it's the organization, they've put me in a position where 
I can invest in myself or I can grow or I can learn something. And that's, to me, it's just been priceless. So if you go back, all this, uh, all this we've just talked about, if you were to go back and, and address yourself, find a time machine or a, a portal or something cool like that and catch Cole Connor, 18 years old, day one as a, a freshman at the University of Houston, is there anything that you would tell that young man to improve his college experience or, or make it even better than what you had it? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the idea that kind of, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, so there's certainly some things in my life that, you know, although they've been tough, I, I would certainly, you know, I, I certainly would still like to have those experiences because they, you know, they, they force you to grow, they force you to get tougher. And they, they, so there's certainly that, but I think something that I wish fresh 18 year old Cole would know and would learn is just, you know, just cause it, you know, things happen and just because it's quote unquote always been that way. And just, you know, I go back to the, the, the average mentality, just cause, just cause everyone else is okay with being okay. Doesn't mean you have to be right. And just because, you know, this happened to you or, or, you know, that's just the way it is kind of thing that doesn't make it okay. And, you know, my parents did a very good job in, in raising me and, and the idea of, you know, standing up for what you believe in, but it kind of got stifled when there were suddenly, you know, 80 to hundred guys, who maybe didn't think the same way or, you know, and that as simple as an issue is, Oh, what if we did it this way? Well, no, no, we just don't do that way. And I, instead of asking why it was just kind of like, eh, okay. And it, it kind of goes back to that, that growth of confidence as well. But 18 year old Cole, like stand up for what you believe in, you know, is right. I mean, that's, it's not a hard battle to, to fight because it's, you know, it's what's right. It's what you know, but just going back to that idea of just standing up for what you believe in and don't always take what everyone says, for truth or for granted, because a lot of times uh, when you think about it, some of these guys who are the, you know, quote unquote leaders or the guy who, you know, orchestrated the event, uh, if you get to know them a little more, you're kind of like, well, what, uh, what qualifications do you have to make that great decision? That's, you know, I, some of the guys who make decisions, you're like, wait a second, like you're just a year older than me and you haven't really done much. So why am I taking advice from you when your advice is probably not the best to begin with? And so that's yeah. uh yeah. Some some strong perspective and advice there on the uh, on the tail end. So I appreciate that. I would before uh, I have one last question for you, but I would love for you to share. This is one of my favorite stories I think I've heard in my time on TeachSnap. I would I know love, where this is going. I would love to hear how the Epsilon Omicron chapter performed <laughs> ritual when you started your time there as a, as a young frauder in the bond. Could you just share, share that? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Once one of the beautiful things about uh, an old chapter and a chapter who's uh, didn't really have a relationship with its volunteers or anything is you tend to do a lot of things wrong or the really, really long way. Um, and so we had a very interesting ritual. We used to not really do ritual much and I could understand why as we wasted so much time, but the, <laughs> The way we entered ritual used to be that the uh, executive council would be in the in the main room. And so, we, you know, we've got a four story house. Um, and so the executive council would be in the room in the triangle and the rest of the chapter, the general chapter or the general chapter body would be lined up uh, in scroll order from outside the door, down the hall, up the stairs, up the stairs, up the stairs. And so you can imagine hundred guys in the chapter, right? Uh, at, at the time, at the worst it was, I think uh, that I remembered, it was like 85, 90 guys that were there. And, <laughs> and uh, we used to do uh, one by one, you would knock, they'd let you in, you would do the challenge. 
uh, and then you'd walk to the triangle uh, and the Preakness would then sit you one by one. And it wasn't until that person was sat down, would you then go to the next guy? And so you can imagine the uh, colossal waste of time that was. And, uh, oh, and, and that kind of goes back to my last point I made with, uh, you know, the, well, it's always been that way. When I tried to institute that change and, you know, realized that, hey, guys, we could save probably like an hour of time on ritual. Well, no, no, that's, that's, that's tradition. You, you can't ruin that. That This is just the way we do things. And I was like, well, but why? And, you know, and I pulled up the ritual book, the silver book, and I'd be like, well, it doesn't say we have to do that anymore. Well, it's just the way we do it here. And I was like, what? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And and I appreciate you at, at my first grand council meeting, making me go table to table and just absolutely embarrass myself and, and the rest of the good frauders at the Epsilon Omicron chapter with that when, story. When you hear a great story like that, you don't sit on it. You don't just you don't just let the person tell it to you and you only <laughs> and then move on with your day. So uh, now now that you've had some practice telling the story to every member of the Grand Council individually, I thought it was time to bring it to the Teak Nation podcast. I appreciate that. And I do want to clarify that if anyone out there listening performs ritual in that manner, you are, in fact, doing it incorrectly. So let that... Yeah, uh, it is a, it's a colossal waste of time. And that's probably why your chapter hates ritual to begin with. There you go. There you go. All right. My last question for you. What is next for Cole Connor? Where can we find you now that you're a big time college grad, not working for your dad, not going the uh, Tommy right. route, which is, you know, it's good to hear. Um, what, uh, what's next? Um, well, I signed a re-signed our lease here in Houston. So at least for the next year and a half, I'll be, I'll be still here in Houston. Um, I work for a company called Baker Communications here outside of Houston. Uh, basically, we do some data-driven sales enablement solutions. Um, on a high level, we work with companies like uh, AWS, Stripe, and we optimize and um, scale companies for growth um, around their sales team. Uh, I work hybrid, so I mean, I don't think people are going to be seeing this, but this is my little mini home office slash room that I've got set up here. Uh, work from here, but occasionally in the office when I get a little bit of cabin fever. Um, term on the Grand Council doesn't end until 2022. So I'll see most of everybody in Houston. And then other than that, just uh, just vibing, man, having a enjoying life, saving up some money. Um, yeah. And I don't, and probably spending a lot of time in coaching uh, our undergrads and uh, volunteering. I know that I've uh, already been nominated to the, the board of advisors and taking on a project with Pennington and company and kind of revitalizing our alumni engagement. And so I will not be too far away from Teak for the come, foreseeable future. On, you're coming on Teak staff here in, in a year or so, right? That's uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I know. This contract. Uh, well, I mean, this is confidential, but once we get rid of you, I'm taking your job. We'll keep you down in double A ball for a while and then bring you up when the time comes. Hey man, if, if the opportunity presented itself, I, I've told people it would be, uh, I think it would be a ton of fun. I think it would be a ton of fun too, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Any final thoughts for Teak Nation? I'm sure we'll bring you on again in six months when we run out of guests to, to talk to you that have, you know, legitimate skills. But uh, until then. No, that's, that's all I've got. That's I, all I've got. I do appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the the knowledge and, and doing some introspection and, and sharing a little bit about your, your time in college and what you've learned. Hopefully 
individuals out there can see some parallels and uh, can can take some of the things you said and apply them in whatever facet they are able, whether it's in their chapter experience or in their work experience. But I do appreciate it. Appreciate all the work you do for Teak and for the members and uh, appreciate appreciate your friendship as well. I appreciate yours. Thank you so much for the invite, Swenson. Anytime, my friend. You just pop in anytime you want to you come on. I won't kick you off. Well, I know I've got that guest room up there in, in Indy there, so... Yeah, I mean, I got a sleeping bag on my floor. You just stay as long as you want, man. Excellent. That sounds like my cup of tea. We'll catch you next time. Adios. And we appreciate Cole's time, of course, as always. We appreciate him listening. He's one of the few people that text me on a semi-regular basis about what happens on the podcast. So we know he's engaged and, you know, maybe if you want to engage and text me about the podcast, you yourself could also end up with a little, a little guest spot there. Anything else before we shut her down today? Grateful for everybody listening. Appreciate you tuning in. I will turn it over to you for our standard asks of our listenership. Well, the, I, I, the only other thing I had is we are wrapping up the fiscal year here with Teak International. And that means there's a number of things coming up that if you are in a position of power in a chapter, or you are in a position to advise a chapter to keep, keep in mind getting initiates in, making sure that we have solid rosters and, and member counts going into the summer, getting annual reports completed. Those are actually due on the 15th, but if you want to knock it out here in the next few days, we'll accept it. Getting e-compliance done. A lot of people out there waiting on e-compliance. Come on, guys. It's important. Those are the three big things, annual reports, e-compliance, and initiates. So I wanted to make sure we added a little bit of teak flair in, although we try our best to avoid talking about the fraternity for the most part on this podcast. All right. With that, don't forget to smash the like button. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to tell a friend. And don't forget to comment on the podcast, on social media. We want to hear from you. Or as I said a few minutes ago, just text me directly with your feedback. I'd be happy to engage with you via text message. I'm not going to get my cell phone number out, but if you want it bad enough, you can probably find it. Obviously Cole has it, so maybe check in with him. We'll catch you next week. Enjoy May. Enjoy the Indy 500 season if you're in Indianapolis. And if you're not, find something else to get excited about. We'll talk to you later. Later. Later.